This is a really special morning for us. We've been talking for the last couple of weeks about our guest that is here with us this morning, Dr. Chris Nanakin. And uh, Dr. Chris, or Dr. G, I'm going to start referring to you as Dr. G. That sounds cooler. It's what a lot of people around the world call him, so I'm just going to adopt it myself. Dr. G has been a close friend of the ministry here. He was just down the street several years ago ministering at Cross Point Church, which is formerly Bangor Baptist Church. And uh, that's how we got introduced to him and um, have have been really acquainted with us through um, the hospitality of Tim and Laura Corbett. And I know you'll have something to say, but I, I, it, it occurred to me as we were talking in the first service, a lot of us have done a spiritual inventory survey, a lot of different ministries at faith or evaluating what are people's gifts and how do you match up in the scriptures and everything. If you've ever scored on hospitality or you have a heartbeat for hosting people or opening your home or exposing the most tender part of your life to people, being your own privacy, but you're not quite sure how to go about doing that, please meet with the Corbett's and find out what makes their heart beat. So I'm embarrassing them a million times over, but that's what makes hospitable people too. So please see them if you have that calling in your life as well, and they will uh, be more than happy to help you out with that. Uh, but back to Dr. G. Uh, comes to us originally from Bangalore, India, but has been educated all in many parts of our country here in, in America, in Florida and Tennessee, New York, if I'm getting these places right, I believe, but also in the UK. Um, and a longtime collaborator and friend with uh, some of the leaders in the church today that you would know their names, uh, folks like uh, Ravi Zacharias and Warren Wearsby and recently in interactions with David Platt and others, names, household names for us that are seeing what is going on in trends in um, the country and when it comes to, and around the world, I should say, when it comes to um, the church. And so uh, Dr. G is involved in all of those conversations and is a sought-after voice in those topics and things. Currently, he's a professor of global theology at Liberty University. Okay, first service, I had a couple of whoops, so I was just giving room. Anybody trying to pass a class, you know, you want to let him know you go. Uh, a director and a director of leadership development of Christar Mission, and he'll explain what that is. Um, originally, we were introduced to him through OTAN Outreach to Asian Nationals, and now he represents Christar. And so, our philosophy or our mindset was: whatever he's doing, we want to support. Put any name on it you want, we want to support it and stuff. So that's where we're at now. And uh, he's reaching the unreached um, people groups with the gospel. He'll tell you about his time amongst the Taliban recently in Pakistan, um, working with those that are being trafficked in Cambodia and refugees in Malaga, Spain. And so um, it's really our privilege, our honor to have him. There's a lot of credentials. I saw on a website a ton of degrees, and but but nothing is more impressive about a guy than how many beautiful women he can be surrounded by. And so if there's a picture that he's going to be using, I just want you to know that was my philosophy in life. You know, surround yourself with a lot of beautiful women. Everyone thinks you're cool, right? So that's why all the daughters and my wife and all that kind of stuff. And so Dr. Chris took a page out of my book. That's his, that's his credibility up on the wall right there. So, uh, listen, um, I want to invite you, uh, to have some lunch with us. We didn't get a ton, but we figured there'd be some that would want, if you can stick around for a little while after the service and maybe get to, uh, know Dr. Chris a little bit. And, uh, we've got some, food coming. If we need more, we'll figure out a way to get that. But please make yourself available to have a conversation with this man. Um, we did yesterday our various parts of leadership from staff to um, shepherding team to discernment team and those folks. And we were very, very blessed for the, the few hours that we had with him. So would you please help me welcome Dr. Chris Nanakin. Well, good morning. Oh, let me see if this is on. Thank you, Tim. That sleeve there. All right. Is this on? Yes? No? Now? No? Let me. I'm pressing all the buttons. Ah, there you go. Yeah. I feel like the minister in the Anglican church who said, something's wrong with this mic. And they all replied, and also with you. You know? Uh, <laughs> Uh, 
Uh, I am uh, I am really delighted to to be back. As Pastor Brent mentioned, I had a stint of my uh, coming uh, and entry into global missions from an organization that was spawned out of um, Whitefield in Maine called Outreach to Asian Nationals, and I was invited. Uh, but now I'm with uh, Krista uh, over there, and uh, I just want you to know I've been really welcomed, very warmly. And several, I mean, at least two sets of a dozen people poured in for discussion, for listening, for learning together interactively. And I'm very, I feel very much relaxed. Is this the second service? Yeah. I was in a church the other day and uh, the pastor said, uh, he said, Dr. G, he said, the, the first service is a traditional service. He said, you need to wear a, a tie and a suit for that. I said, okay. He said, but the second service, he says, it's very classical, so, you, you know, you don't need a jacket. Lose the jacket, he said. I was like, it's pretty expensive. But anyway, lose the jacket. <laughs> and uh, he said, but tie is okay. He said, the third service is pretty contemporary for young people. You can actually sit on a stool. You don't even need a tie. He said, any questions? I said, no, just a comment. I said, I'm just so glad you don't have five services in this church. <laughs> See me later, I'll try and explain that in private. <laughs> hey, uh, listen, um, I, I want to quickly do three things. I want to, uh, for those who are not uh, acquainted with what I do, uh, I am your missionary, which means I'm one of the ministers by extension in places that you would like to go. But every church uh, can do one of three things. Either you can go, you can send, or you disobey. There's no other choice. So I'm very encouraged to represent you and uh, those who were there, some of the places I go, I couldn't do what I do without your prayers and support. So if there's nothing else, I've just come here passing through to say thank you. Thank you for uh, prayers. And uh, I know you're going through transition and maybe God's brought me to encourage you this morning. Now, this is a real difficult message. I don't know why I'm just following the sequence. So if you're upset, just be upset with whoever asked me to speak with you, whatever is going on here. Um, and honestly, it's, it's not really something I would speak, uh, you know, coming to friends, but I think God has a purpose in this message and would like to use it. Now, first, uh, I want to just tell you, give you a snapshot of what I do um, from some of the countries I visited. Now, this summer, uh, soon I, I teach at Liberty University. I'm a professor there. Uh, and, uh, oh, by the way, uh, what's the difference between a large pepperoni pizza and a college professor? A large pepperoni pizza, pizza can feed a family of four. Um, if you, oh man, this is slow this morning, second service, huh? Um, but what I do in most of the time is I work in countries which are called restricted access. As an Indian uh, citizen, I can go into some of the countries that uh, traditional American missionaries can't get into. These are called either closed access countries, like uh, North Korea and Laos, perhaps, uh, and others are called restricted access countries, where you can't proselytize, but you can reach nationals or train them, and they can reach nationals. So that's the philosophy and strategy of the ministry that I have. And I want to give you a sample uh, of what we do in a country called Bhutan. And if you've been to Bhutan, it is a country, okay? Um, and Africa is not a country. You know that. It's a continent, okay? <laughs> so it's funny that... Uh, it, so anyway, I want to give you a sample of that. To put it very succinctly... I do what most others uh, don't, won't, and can't. Let's say that together. Do what others don't, won't, and can't. Some of you are not saying anything at all. You know, come on. Try to say that. Get with the program this morning. So I go to countries and do things that others don't, won't, and can't. One more time, we'll get it. Do what others don't, won't, and can't. And someone like, what is that? Well, I'm glad you asked, because the only thing Jesus asked us to do, believe me or not, the Great Commission has only one main verb in it, metathes in Greek, which means disciple. Disciple the nations. 
more accurately is make disciples or even more precisely make disciple makers because if you make a disciple you think oh i got my job done but you have to reproduce yourself who will in turn reproduce others you know the two timothy two principle so that's the only thing i do but the most efficient way or the strategic way to do considering all the political stuff that happens the visa requirements the funding that's needed the fact that there's a language barrier there's cultural diversity the best thing is to do is to reach a national who in turn can reach their own kind it's much more easy isn't it so that's what we do the only thing i do is to make disciple makers now we use many ways to do it basket weaving in laos for example or english coffee houses in china with the underground church but the goal is to make disciples people to follow jesus i also do what pe- most people won't do most of us don't leave our comfort zone to go to places that are inconvenient for us to for our kids to study in for example or we don't have facilities like mcdonalds <laughs> you know uh, and i understand the world has been mcdonaldized but still i mean there are places that don't have mcdonalds you know you, you know some boondocks and like well you know i don't know if god's calling me to that and people struggle with this you know and uh, some of them come young people and college students say dr g i'd like to do it but i don't feel called to do it I share and I told them how easy it is if you can speak English you have a pulse you can be a missionary they're like ah I don't know I said what are you waiting for they said waiting for the call and I like give me your number I'll call you I mean what 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 is this call I mean there's a can't you just get up and go you know so that's the challenge people won't go because there's too much of a sacrifice and cost and I'll address that in this uh, sermon that they've assigned to me the third thing that people who don't and won't there are some places even if you want to you cannot how many of you have been to north korea okay so there are some countries like north korea just coming back from certain parts in pakistan where most people can't even they, they don't give you a visa on entry stuff so while god gives me breath and the ability and the connection i want to do what others Oh no, start from the beginning others. So that is what Chris Nyanakin does. You can call me Nyanakin, please don't call me Shinanigan, but uh Christ ta Krista and my email is chris@krista. If you know the newsletter, you can just send that and one of my two admin assistants will make sure they put you on a prayer uh, for quarterly prayer news and uh, I'm so thankful for uh, Daniel Clark and others who pass on uh, what I do to others and so on. Now, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. All right, now let's dig into God's word and uh, I want to read from this passage and then make a few comments uh, from it too. The apostle Paul is writing uh, to the church at Corinth. This church was not only charismatic it was schismatic and deeply problematic and uh, Paul is writing this second actually it's his third letter we lost one but he's writing the second letter we have as scripture to this church because this church had done a deep disservice for him Paul has just mentioned as you heard in the previous messages from here from this pulpit that the old covenant with moses that was based on the law that literally uh, veiled people from seeing the truth and kept them in this legalistic society is gone now because of christ and the spirit that has poured jesus is being in our hearts he says now we've got a different ministry and this ministry which is a spiritual ministry belongs to a new covenant and he says i I'm a minister of that new covenant based on grace and that's what I want to proclaim the gospel the euangelion that's what evangelism is to present the evangel the good news which comes from actually two anglo-saxon words good and spell if you watched harry potter and the bad spell this is good spell that's where we get the word gospel and he says there's, there's some kind of a power but it's a different kind of a power It's not this magical or satanic power. He later explains in Rome for Romans 1:17 it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. But here he has a problem with this church 
Have you ever wondered why always Paul wrote letters, 12 or 13 of them, and he started by signing it? I mean, we, when do we sign a letter? When we finish writing it, we say, you know, yours truly, you know, Christianakin or something. Paul started by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He first put his signature to authenticate him, and then he told them what he wants and ended with, well, grace and peace to be to you. So what was going on? Well, let's follow this and then we'll look at the slide. Let me read verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, therefore, you understand what it's there for. Well, he says, having received this ministry, and the ministry Paul had received is by what? By the mercy of God. He didn't merit it. He didn't inherit it. He received it as a gift, a free gift. God had mercy on this guy and gave it. I'll give you a ministry. And he says, because of that, Here's the word. We do not lose heart. And of course, he ends this whole pericope or teaching or context with a verse 16. Again, he repeats the same phrase. Don't lose heart. My message for us this morning is very simple. Are you discouraged in church today? Something is keeping or holding you back from being the very best Have we actually recoiled because someone has said something that you're like, okay, that's it. I I don't want to do it. I'm not appreciated. Or are you, you feel at least victimized, particularly when it comes to sharing the gospel? I heard at least two or three people yesterday in both our meetings say, you know, we'd like to do this, but the culture, you know, this is how they come back on us. They boomerang this stuff. It's hard. To be a witness for Jesus. Am I right? In the kind of culture we're in. And you feel like, you know, throw in the towel, give up. There's no point. I don't want to stay in this fight. I get bashed every time. Well, listen, cheer up. It's going to get worse. Think about what Paul is going through. It's unbelievable. He says, but we don't lose heart. Instead, why don't you lose heart, Paul? Because we have renounced this disgraceful, underhanded ways. There are some things that are shameful. And he says, Paul says, we put it away behind us. But also, he says, we refuse to practice the cunning or whatever crafty ways you use to tamper with God's word. We don't want to distort the doctrines of Christ, the teachings that Jesus asked us to pass on. We're not going to twist scripture. We're going to mess with it. We're going to get it. We're going to tell it as Jesus told it because it's not our word anyway. But on the contrary, he says, this is what we do do. Those are not things we don't do, but we are going to be open when it comes to the truth. You know why? We commend ourselves to everybody and to their conscience. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, whatever I do, I do with a clear conscience. And by the way, I want anyone with a conscience to check me out. Where I'm wrong. I want to live above reproach. I want you to know that we're living in difficult times. Where truth is on the scaffold and wrong is on the throne. You know what I'm talking about? We're calling bad good today. We don't know whether we're in or out, up or down. And even the mighty are falling today, so-called ministers of the gospel. The two areas in which most ministers who have fallen will confess to is, number one, the mishandling or manipulation of money, funds. It's a sad situation today for filthy lucre what people do. And Paul says, that's one thing I don't want people to accuse me of. And by the way, I'm not going to ask for money. I don't want support. Don't fund me. Because don't lump me with those guys who run around who masquerade as ministers of light, but they are actually ministers of darkness, but they're doing it for the bucks. And Paul is very clear. He stays away from them. He said, I don't want it. He never, in not a single letter, does Paul ask for funds. Only one church of all the churches he started associated and gave, sent him funds through Epaphroditus. And he wrote a letter back, a thank you letter, which is part of your Bible called the Book of Philippians. Did you know the Book of Philippians is Paul's missionary thank you letter? That's how we got the book. Because no other church helped him financially. Could you imagine? Like that, that, I mean, I think a lot of followers would say, I want to be part of what Paul's doing. They didn't. 
He goes on to say something else. We don't commend ourselves, but uh, we commend the truth to everyone's conscience in God's sight. And he says, even if our gospel is veiled. Sadly, what we are sharing is covered up. He says it's veiled. It's veiled for those who are perishing. They don't want to hear it. How many of you have people in your own family, loved ones, who do not know Jesus Christ yet? Raise your hand. Okay, keep your hands up. How many of you among these people, you know, already know the gospel, they choose not to do what? Keep your hands up. Look, not many. In fact, some more hands went up. You know why? Our problem, is this on? Our problem is not that we don't know what to do. We don't do what we know. And so Paul says, listen, you know, they, 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 the gospel is veiled. Why? Because the God, verse 4, the God of this world has blinded their minds. This is their, the inner eyes of their intellect. Blinded their minds of these unbelievers. Why? To keep from them. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. This Christ, he says, is a Mago Dei. He is the invisible image. Uh, he is the image of the invisible God. God in the flesh. They don't want to have anything to do with him. And he says, oh, by the way, for we do not preach ourselves, but we preach Christ. We proclaim Jesus Christ, not as come to Jesus, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, but he is Lord. He's in charge. He's in control. And what about us? We are actually your servants. Your servants for Christ's sake. Why are we doing this? Because the God in Genesis 1 and verse 3 who said, let there be light. The God whose Logos became Rhema, who spoke things out of nothing, ex nihela, said, let there be light. There was light. He says, that same God has shown in our hearts this gospel. He said, let there be light. He's shown now in our hearts to give us this light. This creative light. What light? It's the light of the knowledge. What knowledge? The knowledge of the glory, the Shekinah of God. Where is that? In the face of Jesus Christ. Then he ends with this statement. Oh, by the way, he says, you know something about us? He says, this glory of God in Christ is the treasure. But this treasure is in baked dirt pots, clay pots. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? In order to show that the surpassing power of the gospel unto salvation, it belongs to God and not to us. Hmm. You can read that whole catalog of calamities that he has because he follows Jesus. If you really feel someday life is not fair, read that text and you'll feel better. I mean, Paul went through some horrible things. Now, I want to uh, give you three points today. I'm a Baptist and uh, it'll be alliterated and I'll try to say a poem and we'll go home. Um, but I'm burdened today uh, on, on some of the things that's not only happening in society and the church in society. But also, I think, in a pertinent time like this, where our church is in transition, uh, everything either rises or falls on leadership. It's very important. What kind of leader do we want? Paul's critiques. Paul had people who criticized him, and they were cynical about anything he shared. Have you had people like that? who are cynics and critique you no matter what you do and say. I mean, they're against you. They always flip things over. <laughs> you know, saying, you know, who's an optimist? An optimist looks at half a glass of water and says the glass is half full, an optimist. A pessimist says the same glass is half empty. And the cynic and critic says that glass is full of poison. No matter what you do, they, they take it and they interpret it and, and they want to destroy you. Now, Paul's authority was questioned. Who died and put you in charge? They would ask him. 
And if I was Paul, I'll say Jesus did. No, but how, how do you answer people? Who told you? They, they disregarded his authority. Yesterday I was discussing with our leaders the kind of milieu in which we manage ministry is where people question authority. I'm not talking just about parental authority or church authority or even government authority, which we all do all the time. We are kind of entitled in this culture. But we are now questioning the very authority of God's word. That's what we live. And they, they said, Paul, who are you? They questioned his authority. And Paul says very clearly two things. He says, you can say what you want, but you need to know this. Number one, he says, whatever we are doing is not underhanded. We will not resort to deceitful ways. Why? Because there was masquerading around in, in, in Paul's time, some of these false super apostles. And you know what they were doing? They were twisting scripture. They were telling people, yeah, if you really live for God, you'll be healthy, wealthy. I don't know if that's wise. The prosperity gospel is not new. It was going around, name it and claim it stuff. They were ministering not only for money, but they were actually managing people and even subduing them and brainwashing them and holding them captive to these teachings. I don't know, you should, I teach, one of the courses I teach uh, at, at Liberty is the, a course on cults. That class is packed. But did you know every cult was born in America? Think about it. I mean, of, of, of the 267 countries, why do people start cults in America? That itself my first discussion question. Every, every cult is born in the USA. Even the Moonies from Korea come to America to start the Moonies cult. Why can't they start it in Korea? There's something about the American dream that ends in a nightmare. If you're not aware. And Paul says, I don't want to have anything with that. I will not use deceptive means. Secondly, he says, I will not distort the truth. I am here to make the gospel not acceptable to you. I'm here to make it available to you. This is the word of God. But there was more to Paul. They judged his motives for ministry. Why did he do what he did? And this is important. And Paul is going to address this. Why are you preaching, Paul? You got any other selfish motive? Because you don't, you're not very impressive, Paul. And by the way, Paul was not impressive. If you study church history, go back to the early scripts and even some of the ways in which they depict Paul. Paul was not bold and beautiful. You realize that? Paul was bald and dutiful. He had bow legs, probably because he rode a horse all day, the amount he traveled. He had a big hooked nose. When he turned, he probably slapped somebody with it. <laughs> he had an eye problem. His eyes would ooze and he couldn't even write. And in Galatians 6, he says, oh, how big letters I have because he had eye problem. He had epilepsy. People spat when he went thinking he was demon-possessed. He was the hunchback of Notre Dame. I mean, he was just crippled. How many times he's been buried under piles of stones, shipwrecked, beaten with rods. He was just a piece of flesh, miserable-looking. You think Golong looks bad? I really believe Paul was not good to look at at all. He didn't come to places, you know, and say... Thank you for coming, dearly beloved. You're going to have a happy day. That was not Paul. Paul was not only ugly, but whatever he said was hard. I mean, he wasn't the best orator. You realize that. People forget, you know, now we're like 2,000 years from the guy, and we're like, Paul said in Pauline theology. When he spoke, Peter said, it's so hard to listen to this guy. I don't even understand. Peter, who was Jesus' disciple, said, I don't know what this guy Paul's talking about. He was hard, some of the things he said. Now, I, I often think, you know, if you're a preacher and you're good looking and you have some lousy things to a sermon is horrible, you can at least enjoy the guy's looks. Like, you know, he's really nice and like, wow, Zac Efron kind of a thing, you know. And you're like, oh, this is good. But what do you do with a preacher? If, you know, even if he's, if, he's, if he's bad in what he says and he's good looking, but what about if he's 
not good looking, you can close your eyes and at least listen to the word of God, whatever the guy is saying, because he's saying something good. What do you do when he's both? People didn't like the guy. And they accused him. See, you're Paulus. Why can't you preach? Your rhetoric is not good enough, Paul. Now, before I actually draw from this passage and, and relate it to us, I want you to know if you're in our church this morning, many of us feel like that often. I'm not good enough. Because we live in an age where image is everything. And I want to warn you as a church, even when you're looking for ministers, and be careful. Don't judge the book by its cover. And make sure the content is the gospel. If not, church becomes entertainment, not edification. We come for the show, showtime, and it's a performance from here. That's dangerous, church. That's dangerous. That's what's happening across America with so-called mega churches with celebrity pastors. Paul wouldn't make it on that list. And that's precise. Paul's, the genius of Paul is that he took their criticisms, the very things that they were trying to disqualify him, and he turned it over and he said, you know what, go ahead. The very things that you feel I'm disqualified because I'm ugly, I'm not impressive, I don't preach well. He says, those are the very things that credentialize me or qualify me to be a minister of the grace of the gospel. Amazing. This is a genius of a passage of a mind that has to reciprocate instead of reacting and demonstrate the wisdom of God and the foolishness of people judging you. It's a great passage. He says, we renounce these selfish and secret, shameful ways. He says, we, we, do, we don't, we don't, uh, there's nothing crafty or under the table. I was in one of these countries known for corruption. And I asked them, do you guys bribe your people? Some of these countries I go, you can't get anything done, like buy land or anything without bribing the people. Bribe is a way of life. Christians find it impossible. So I said, do you bribe over the table or under the table? And the guy, that guy told me, Dr. G, in our country we, drive, we bribe with the whole table, you know. Take it. It's so corrupt. Paul says, I am not going to do that. And by the way, he says, I'm an open book, transparent. Truth and transparency go together. That's what creates integrity in ministry. And he says, everyone, anyone with a conscience, tell me, have I taken from any, do I owe anyone anything? What a way to live above reproach. I want to encourage you. What will make you and me as Christians winsome to a world without Jesus Christ is our integrity. They will see something about our character that they can't compute. They're like, why don't they do this? Everybody else is doing this. Everybody in college are sleeping with one another. They're going to have this trial and error stuff. What's wrong with this young person? They don't want to sleep around before marriage. Everybody's cheating on the taxes. What's wrong with this guy? From faith church. He, he's always, he can't afford it, but he's always giving his tax exactly and on time. They're going to ask these questions. Why is this lady still sticking with this man? Seems like he's sleeping around and she's still hanging on to him. Why can't she divorce him? Get the alimony, get out of there. They can't understand that. And then they ask why and you're beginning to, Paul says, listen, I commend myself as clear to everyone's conscience. Church, that is an informidable way in which you can present the gospel. Today the church has lost its credibility. That's the crisis we're in. And so this passage that they've assigned to me tells me something about how to go about doing it. You have critics, I have critics. This passage tells us how do we counteract that. The second thing I want to mention today is Paul's calling. I want to say this because Paul says, listen, you need to know, you're asking me by what authority I do what I do, why I keep doing it. And we don't, I'll tell you what. He said, this mercy, I 
This ministry I do because of God's mercy. If you knew who I was, he said, I was not just a Pharisee of the Pharisee like you fellows. I was actually the one who was murdering Christians. You ask me, how come you're a missionary now? You're trying to eliminate the gospel and now you're propagating the gospel. I mean, ha- well, let me tell you. It's not like I said, can I do it and raise my hand and ask them to vote for me. I was minding my, I was killing the followers of Jesus Christ. I had official sanctions from the headquarters in Jerusalem. I was on my way to Damascus. I used to drag people, whether they're women or children, I couldn't care less. And you know what? I was heading there towards Damascus and then suddenly, suddenly, Acts chapter 9. You know, if you're in our church today, we talked about this yesterday with Pastor Brent and the leaders. Sometimes our God is a God of surprises. He turns up at particular junctures in your life. And maybe you're in our church and you've come to a crossroad. God wants to meet you there. He does that. And suddenly, you're minding your business, you're thinking, ah, it's not going to work out, giving up, nobody cares. And suddenly, there was this light. It shone on him. He fell off his high horse. And he heard this voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he knew he was being dealt with deity because he got zapped off. And he didn't know what this light and UFO or ET or whatever this thing is. He's like, I know one thing. This is powerful stuff. So he addresses the voice and says, Lord, who are you? And the voice replies, I am who? Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You know how many fuses he blew in his brains? We killed the guy, we buried the guy, and this uh, saying, I'm Jesus, and I'm persecuting you? Who was Paul persecuting? Answer? The followers of Je- the church, right? Hey, listen, Ecclesiology 101 in Pauline thought, Christ and his church are inseparable. You messed with one, you messed with the other. He's the one who comes up with the concept of Corpus Christi, the body of Christ, where you and I are all part of this amazing body. Do you know who you are? You are someone whom Jesus loved and shed his blood for. You are precious. Don't let anybody treat you like trash. I work in Cambodia. And as Pastor Brent, you know, some of those girls we rescued from trafficking, a lot of them because of Cambodian, American men, by the way. And it's so painful when I go there and talk to them. They have no sense of dignity. And they're just objectified and used as a toy. Then they come to find Christ. What a change. Paul falls down and suddenly finds he's what? He's what? Blinded. Now let me say this. If you study this text, you will find four major themes uh, juxtaposed or held to against one another. You first of all find out the dualism between light and what's the opposite of light? Darkness. Then you're going to find the theme of weakness. And what's the opposite of weakness? Strength or power. Then you're going to find a third theme of death. And what's the opposite of that? Zuas, life. Then you're going to find the whole theme of suffering. And the opposite is glory. So that's what chapter 4 is. You're going to deal with these four themes that are parallel and dualistic. I'm going to deal with the first one in this point. And you can see Paul never forgot this experience. He would, he would describe conversion as being transformed out of the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. This is where he saw the light. This is where a person who never heard Jesus teach. As far as we know, Paul was not a disciple of Jesus in his earthly ministry. But this is where he learned. The reality when Jesus met a man who was blind. Do you remember that? In John chapter 9. And they asked him who sinned. Did this guy sin or his 
parents sin and Jesus said neither. They said, why is he blind? And Jesus says his blindness is to the glory of God. Paul wasn't there. But you read this passage and how he refers to light and darkness and glory. He got it. He wasn't there in Matthew 5 and in verse 16 where Jesus said to his disciples, Let your what light so shine among the Gentiles that they will see your good work and do what? Glorify. You read this passage? He's quoting that. How did he know that? Not because he sat and learned teaching, because he encountered Jesus himself. Brothers and sisters, are you in church? You know about Jesus. Hey, have you met him? Do you know him? I mean, personally. You're not going to be a witness till you and I know Jesus in an experiential way. You say, but I've been in this church for a long time. Well, just because you're born in McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. <laughs> well, my grandfather was the one who donated this. Well, God has no grandkids. You have to come to him personally. I love this church. I mean, I am an extension of this church. We're going through transition. But we need the right kind of leaders and we need members who are missional in their thinking, who know Jesus in an experiential way. Paul gets up with the team and he realizes he once could see, but now is what? Blind. He goes to a street called Straight. He's sitting there. He falls on his knees and he's praying. He's seeing this glory of God through that session, the Shekinah. Now he's in darkness. And God makes a call. Jesus calls a guy called Ananias. Remember that? Ananias, Ananias. Yes, Lord. I want you to go to the street called Straight. And there's this guy called Saul. He hangs up. <laughs> Ring again. Hello? This is Jesus, Ananias. Yes, Lord. I want you to go to Ananias. I think it's the wrong number, Jesus. Uh, Jesus, do you know who you're talking? You know, is this Saul of Tarsus you're talking about? The guy who came to murder? He's on his way here. Nobody liked Paul. The whole church didn't accept him. It's Barnabas who brought the guy. So when Paul's writing this, he's saying, listen guys, this thing that I'm doing, I didn't actually sign up for this thing. I was blind. This guy came, he prayed on me, and there were scales that fell from my eyes. I once was blind, but now I, I see the light. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 12, I am ego Amy. That's the literal cut and paste of Yahweh. I am the light of the world. He who comes to me shall not walk in darkness. Again, that theme, light and darkness. You never forgot that. And now he says, you know what? The God who shone this light and the years of my heart perceived who Jesus is has now become a messenger based on God's mercy to share this with you. He says, yes, this gospel, this good news is veiled. But it's veiled because not only people don't want to hear that because of the cost of discipleship, suffering, but there's another enemy. He says, the God of this world. Church, we need to be clear here. This world, this system, does not belong to our God and Father. This is a system, the prince of the power of the air, sounds like the internet, actually is Satan. And God is calling us out of this world. Some of us are living as though we're going to be here forever. This world is not our portion, it's our passage. We are passing through. You can't take anything with you. Have you ever seen a U-Haul follow a hearse? You know, you, you, what are you going to do? Why are we accumulating this stuff? Paul says, I've renounced everything, materialism. Some of the countries I go and hardly have anything. They have idols. I come to America, we have idols. Those degrees I earn, those cars that we like to drive, those houses, keeping up with the Joneses. That's why God can't use us. You can't serve God and 
mammon, materialism. We have our golden calves. The idol is not in a shelf, it's in the self. Anything that comes between you and God is an idol. You don't have to come to my countries to see idols. It's right here. And you wonder why we're not effective. Why people are not coming to Christ. Hmm. Satan has blinded his, their eyes. The other thing he says about his calling, and I want to say to this, if you're in part of this discernment team or what is a shepherd's team or leadership team or something, listen, if you can do anything else and be in God's will, don't be a minister. I'm serious. I tell my students that who come to the school of divinity to want to become preacher. I say, listen, if you do anything else and be in God's will, don't become a preacher. Because you need to know what you're signing up. You need to have a deep and definite sense that God has called you to it. You say, why? Because that's the only thing that will keep you in it. Is that Steve Curtis Chapman who sings, for the sake of the call, we will surrender it all. It's not, there's no money in this thing. There's no fame. In fact, the opposite is true. They're going to drag your name. They're going to disgrace you. They're going to start rumors against you. Who wants to sign up for that? He says, that's why the gospel is hid. Because it deals with dying to yourself. I want to say this carefully in the church I love here. Listen. Many of us are full of ourselves like Paul was before he met Jesus. The problem is not that we've not let Jesus into our hearts. That's not even theologically right, but into our lives. The problem is we're not letting him out. The light is in, but it's not shining out. But you know what we need to do? And my, God will do this. He will have to break us before he uses us. Paul was this vessel, all shiny, glamorous. And he had to change it. He says, you know who we are? We're jars of clay. Why? Because we want to minister to you. Well, the next thing he says about it, we not only received it, I want you to know how we resound it, how we send it out. And he gives two powerful pictures. One he has just said, and we've already studied that. He says, we are actually spiritual Fathers And Paul liked that parental analogy. He considered himself in Thessalonica as a nursing, a breastfeeding mom. He, I, he said, I just don't give you preaching and tea. He says, I give myself to you. I nourish you by dying, giving a little bit of me to you. I pour into you in a literal sense. Very powerful imagery. Those of us who are not moms don't have a clue. The second thing he says... And he, he actually scolds them. You remember that? <laughs> he says, uh, this is First Corinthians 4 and verse 15. He says, you've got so many professors, like this Nyanakin guy that comes around. You've got so many teachers and instructors, but very few fathers. You know, America today, we are dying as a community. And our greatest problem has little to do with national security or even health care or education for the middle class or whatever. Our biggest problem is the fragmentation of the family. Single parents, loss of identity and sexuality. We are crumbling from within, like Rome. Who destroyed Rome? Nobody did. Rome imploded. Because it didn't have anything to hold it together. Who's going to destroy America? We will self-destruct with the morality. Think about it. A lot of parallels with Rome and America. And Paul's exactly saying, this is what we need. We need spiritual fathers. And I want to say to you, if you're a leader in a church, in our church, you better be mentoring someone. I had to face a difficult decision about 11 years ago. God spoke to me. And said, Nyanakin, do you want to do something good and great for me? Big and great. Yeah, I like to do something big and great for God. Or, or what? Do you want to equip and empower others who will do things bigger and better than you could ever do in your lifetime? You know, that was the most difficult question I faced in my ministry. 
And when I settled for the ladder, I had to step down, step away, sometimes even step out of my ministry so that others could be empowered. Now I teach people. I was sharing in this study, some of my students, uh, they're not all Bible and theology students. And I often wonder, why am I teaching these people? I mean, I sometimes teach six to seven hundred students a day at the, in the largest university, Christian university on the planet. That's what liberty is. And you know, most of them are not even into Bible and theology. One of them was uh, this uh, girl who was uh, Miss America runner-up. She wasn't even cute. I was like, you know, she was in my class. And I... <laughs> but I kept telling people, can you see me on the catwalk? Yeah, don't try to. But you know, uh, isn't it wonderful? I pour into someone who's in a place where she is sharing the gospel to people who will never shadow grace the the church. They won't come to church. Church needs to go to them. I mean, I tell my students, don't change your major. Tell me what your major is. I'll tell you how to be a missionary with it. Some of the countries I work, you cannot come in as a Bible student. But Evan, my student, who was into aeronautical mechanics, is now working in Vietnam with young people building stuff. and Amazing. Another student of mine who was a drug dealer downtown Chicago who came into my apologetics class is now doing fair trade with tea from Nepal. You see what I'm saying? We've got to have this paradigm shift in the way we're doing things today. We are your slaves, he says, so that your joy may be full. I don't like that verse. I'd rather be Jesus' slave. Because Jesus always treats me nicely. (laughs) To live above with saints we love, that will be glory. To live below with the other saints we know, that's another story. I mean, sheep can become goats, right? Ask your pastors, they butt you around. And it's just so painful. But Saul says, hey, listen, that's what I signed up for. So what is the third final point? What is Paul's confidence? We've seen his critiques. He has clarified his calling. He said, I signed up for this. So guys, you can't, you can't stop me because I didn't pick to do this. I'm just fulfilling a calling and I've been entrusted with this. I don't own this stuff, the gospel. But what is Paul's confidence, particularly in his trials? Well, say, Paul says, I'll tell you what, there's two things working against us. And the first thing is self. I want you to know when you study this passage, and I'm sure you've done in its context, Paul says, I preach Christ and not ourselves. Paul did not even trust himself. Did you know that? Paul did not put confidence in himself. Read chapter 1 verse 9. We do not trust ourselves. It is a danger for followers like me to trust in my degrees, to trust in my influence, to trust in my speech and abilities, to trust in my competence, so to say. And preaching and ministry becomes a performance. Paul says, I don't do that. I not only don't trust in myself, he says, I don't promote myself. A lot of these false prophets were looking for recommendation and money. And He says, listen, I, I, I'm not promoting myself. I don't want to sell books. I don't want to show my CD. Listen, I, I, that's not me. And you know what else he says? I'd want myself to get out of the way so that Christ will be seen. I do not preach. I don't present. I don't proclaim. Myself, but Christ. So what is this about his trials? What is this stuff we have this treasure in earthen vessels? What is this earthen vessel talk? And I think sometimes as I was preparing this last night, and I said, how do I pull this together in a a group uh, in modernity where people don't understand what clay pots are? Uh, I understand, coming from South India, I'll tell you something about clay pots. They're worthless. They're dirt that's baked. And it's, it, you can get it. There's so much. I mean, there's all over the street side you can buy these pots. They're very inexpensive. Uh, they're, they're useless, but also, you know, they're disposable. You know, nobody can you know, save that. You use and throw stuff. Expendable. You say, like, Paul, why are you saying 
that's who you are? He said, yeah. That's exactly. So go ahead, criticize me, tell me I can't speak properly, tell me I'm ugly, tell me I'm, I'm worthless, because you know what? You're right, that's what I am. I'm a baked clay pot made out of dirt. You say, Paul, why, why are you saying that? He said, I'm saying that because the focus is not on the container, but the contents. It's about what I have inside me. It is Christ in us. He said it's about the treasure. And compared to the treasure, yes, we are trash. And he says, I want you to tell you something about those clay pots. He said, because in those days, uh, these clay pots were used in Jesus' time particularly uh, for a very critical purpose. You see, I go to these restaurants and they give me these little lockers, you know, safe lockers in case I got gold or money. They say, you want these lockers? Because they put me up in all these fancy restaurants. They think I'm rich. I said, no, I don't need a locker or anything. But you didn't have lockers those days. So you know what you did? So if you had jewelry or something precious, you put them in these mud pots. And you went and you buried them somewhere where nobody knew. That way your home, your house doesn't get looted. And so that was very common practice. There was another reason why they used the clay pots. So if you study, study Bible times and cultures archaeologically, they found out that if you had property, for example, the deeds for your land or something, and only after your death, the inheritance goes to the kids, you roll these deeds, you put them in these jars of clay, and you bury them where only your family members could find when you're dead. Did you know that that was what happened in Qumran with the Dead Sea Scrolls? Where were they? Where, where, where did they find the Dead Sea Scrolls? Answer, clay pots. So is the clay pot... No, what was inside was documents. There was manuscripts from before Jesus' time. Wow. What's it worth now? Do you get the picture? That's what Paul says. He says, yes... We are worthless. Satan has kept these people who don't believe in darkness and weakness. But I tell you what, this weakness is actually a strength because it breaks us so that that darkness sheds the light. It's a powerful teaching. It's paradoxical. It's ironical because that's what he said when he started writing his first letter. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confront the things that are strong, the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, things that are even nothing. Why does he do that? So that no flesh will glory in his presence. Again, you find the theme, light, darkness, glory. Listen, if you're in our church today, Maybe you're a stay-home single mom. And you wonder, you know, who cares? Honestly? I do all this work and get things done. Nobody appreciates me. Maybe you're a dad. And you know, you say, well, everybody you know, wants me to do this, that. Who's doing anything for me? Do they really know how hard I work to pay off this mortgage, to, to drive in the car that I do? And you're like, you know, people think I come to church, I'm dressed nicely, everything. But I'm thinking suicide. I'm thinking depression. I am. Is that you? You know, this can happen. It happens all the time. This message is for you. You say, what do you want me to do with the message? Focus. Perspective. Well, focus on what? On the treasure. This pearl of great price. Jesus. Is that treasure. You see, let me tell you this. Paul was a brilliant mind. The Jewish Hebrew monotheism. He had gone and got a double PhD. You know what a PhD is? My daughter calls it a permanent head damage. But anyway, he had gone and got all this stuff from the University of Jerusalem. He knew the rabbinical law. Jews always look for light, for revelation. Then he was a citizen of Rome, Pax Romana, the power and glory of Rome. He was not only born a Roman citizen, he earned it. You know what else he was? He was vintage. 
when it came to Greek philosophy, man, he could argue a case. Everybody knew Saul. The Hebrews looked for knowledge. The Greeks, the Hebrews for light, the Greeks for knowledge. Rome, the glory of Rome. And Paul finishes our chapter by saying, you know what? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus, my Lord. The incomparable Christ is no match to the light of the Hebraic mind, the knowledge of the Greek philosopher, or the power and glory of Rome. That's why Jesus was his treasure. That power, and he draws from Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3, that power is the same logos that said, let there be light, and there was what? Light, ex nihila, from nothing, God created everything. He said, that light has shone in our hearts. And we are new creations in Christ. First Corinthians 7, 5, 17. Church, whatever we are going through, don't judge the book by its cover. Don't throw away the pot because it's trash. Don't forget the treasure that's within. God has entrusted you and me right here in Waterville to be a lighthouse. Jesus asks you, let your light so shine. Don't be ashamed or afraid of the gospel. Ah. I love my coffee. I'm an Asian. I not only drink it and taste it, I actually sound it. Ah. Ouch. <laughs> hey, uh, you know what? Napkin. You know what this napkin does? Cleans up the mess. Is that you? You say, you know what? This is a nice message this Sunday. When I go out of that, seems like that's all I do. There's a mess in my family. There's a mess at work. There's a mess in this church. There's a mess with Donald Trump. There's a mess. All I do is seem to be cleaning up the mess. Anyone like me? Cleaning up the mess. Ouch. Oh. What is this? It's the sleeve. You know what the sleeve does? It takes the heat. If not, I would sue McDonald's. <laughs> and you know, you're like, hey, Dr. G, that's me. In my home, at work, even in this church, people don't realize where are the pastors. They take a lot of heat. When everything goes well, no one hears about it. Something goes wrong, they never hear the end. You know what they do? A leader takes the heat. And maybe right now you're listening to me taking the heat. Hey, there's a cup here. I like this cup. But you know what happens when I finish drinking my coffee? I throw it away. I throw it away. It's disposable. You know what the cup does? It holds things together. And this morning you're listening to me and you're saying, you know what? That's about all I do. There's broken pieces, fragments of my life, other people, my family, my work. Seems like all I do is holding it together. You feel like that? I want you to know one thing today. 
You may feel like the napkin that cleans up the mess. You may be like the sleeve that takes the heat. You may even be like the cup that holds the content. I want you to know you're not the coffee. You're not the coffee. We are earthen vessels. But the treasure is within us. So that the glory goes to God. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful this morning that in spite of the calamities of life and the crisis we go through, Christ is all we need. Thank you for the Apostle Paul, who's a model for a ministry that is based on your mercy, not our merit. Lord, I commend Faith Church to you. Thank you for the hospitality, the love that I've experienced. Lord, they're going through transition. I pray for each one of our leaders, our pastoral staff, shepherds. I pray for the discernment team or whoever the leaders are during this trance. I pray for every member. We are hurting people, every one of us. We clean up the mess. We take the heat. We hold things together. Lord, help us to remember it's not about us. We're not the coffee. It's about Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, if God has spoken to you this morning from his word, and you say, you know what, Dr. G, would you pray for me? I really want to be a vessel that God can use. Maybe he's breaking me so that his light will shine through. But I want to focus on the treasure within. I want to get closer to Jesus. I would really want to let my light shine wherever I am. I don't know how, but I do want to. I want to let my light shine. Would you pray for me? I want to be a witness. I may not cross the seven seas like you, but I may have to cross the street to share my treasure with someone else without it. Would you pray for me? God's spoken to me. If that's your desire, would you put your hand up? I want to pray for you, wherever you are. Just raise it, hold it up. I want to close in prayer for you all over. Just put your hand up. Don't feel ashamed. I want to pray for you. You're saying, Lord, I want to be used of you. I realize that I have a lot of weaknesses, but I also have learned today that your power shows up best in weak people. Would you use me? Heavenly Father, I pray for all of us raising our hands around our church. We're raising empty hands because we don't bring anything to you. Holy Spirit, would you hold us? Would you lead us? And would you use us for your glory? Thank you. For all that you're doing through this church, thank you that I can represent their mission and do things that they themselves cannot do. They don't, want and can't. Thank you for their prayer, their support. Together, may we strive together for the faith of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you for having me. Cheer up, it's going to get worse. <laughs>